are you doing it at drinking water? Doing all right? Drinking water the way you're supposed to? You know, some people will say that drinking eight cups of water today is a day is impossible. Some of those same people have eight cups of coffee before their alarm goes off. It happens. A lot of reports out there about drinking water. One said that some of the reasons that people use for not drinking water is they don't like paying for bottled water. It's too expensive. They don't trust tap water, or they just don't like the taste of water. Just, just don't like it. Some of those may, may describe where your thoughts are. If, if you're somebody that wants to increase your intake of water, there's some tips out there, some, some things that will help you, uh, things that will get you on track. One thing that you can do is maybe get an app. Yeah, you can get an app and you can track how much water you're drinking every day. I, I got an app. I do this every day. It's, it's helpful. It helps you see what you're doing. It helps you reach your goal. Or maybe you can get a, a water bottle that has measurements on there and it's got times that you're supposed to drink and little motivational speeches on there for you to help you get to your place. Or maybe you can start eating foods that are significantly full of water. Well, what kind of foods? Well, cucumbers have 96% water in a serving. Zucchini is 95% water. And grapefruit is 91% water. Cucumbers, zucchini, and grapefruit. I think I'm just going to drink the water. I'm good. I'm fine. I think, I think I'm just going to go there. Just go there. Now, if bacon or honey buns ever get to 90% water, man, I am all in three times over. I'm all about that. The Mayo Clinic has some important contributions that they note that water gives to the body. It says that water regulates body temperature. It protects body organs and tissues. It carries nutrients and oxygen to cells. It lubricates the joints in the body, and it lessens the burden on the kidneys and on the liver. Those are some, some good things. One study noted that people who drank at least 10 glasses of water a day, they say that they are very happy, that they're very energetic, and they feel very successful. Ten or more, that's, that's what the survey said. Also, it noted that people who drank four or less glasses of water a day are very likely to own an Eeyore coffee mug, very likely to have a Squidward t-shirt, or very likely to have an Incredible Hulk pillowcase. I mean, that's not really what it said, but you get the vibe. Somebody once said that if you drank a gallon of water a day, you would never have any stress or worry or anxiety or frustration about anything going on in the world. Because you'd be in the bathroom all day long. You'd miss everything. You know, you just miss it. But the science and the reports, the, the research is technically true. There is a way for water to make you happy. How? Well, let's see if we can find out. We turn our attention to Psalm 46, beginning with verse 4. The psalmist writes, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. About 700 years before Jesus was born, there was a man named Sennacherib. He was the king of Assyria. 
and he led his people in an attack against Jerusalem. Now, this was odd for ancient cities, but Jerusalem was not built on a major river. So Sennacherib thought, man, they'll cave pretty quick. You know, they'll, they'll fold when I attack them because they're going to run out of water pretty quick and they'll be desperate for water. What he didn't realize was that King Hezekiah had built this kind of little underground river. It went about six football fields long through solid rock from a spring and took water right up into the middle of the city. So they had all the water that they needed. When it came time for the attack, the water they needed was right there for them. If you're a Christian, there is a river that's running about six gazillion infinity fields through solid space, time, and eternity, right up into your heart and your mind and your soul. And that river, according to the Scriptures, gives you all the living water that you need for life. Gives you all the living water that you need, especially when you feel like life is caving in around you. This river gives you everything you need for your fear over the virus. This river gives everything you need for your anger over the virus. This river gives you everything you need for your fear over the economy or your anger over the economy. This river gives you everything that you need for your fear over school or work your fear over unrest in our society, your fear over natural disasters, your fear over health issues, your fear over social issues or racial issues. This river gives you everything you need for your fear and your anger and your aggravation and your apathy over anything and everything that you're dealing with in life. Now, some people hear that and go, man, they're putting on their their best, the very best they can of their big mouth Billy Bass face, right? You know, they're like, hey, 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 man, take me to the river. Man, get me there. I want to get there. Other people, in their hearts and their minds, they kind of just roll their eyes because they just can't believe that a river like that is real. They're so overwhelmed by the reality of what they're seeing on the news, what they're hearing on talk radio, what, what they're seeing on social media. They're so overwhelmed with those things that they are just not convinced that this river is real. They just can't get it in their minds that they should make that shift. In fact, what's really happening is they are actually pushing God away from their hearts while at the very same time they might be saying our country needs God. That the country needs God but I'm, I'm going to push him away from my heart. This is what Jesus said about our hearts. Luke chapter 6 verse 45. His mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. This is a real simple way that, that Jesus is describing humanity. He's saying that, that what comes out is a reflection of the heart, that, that what we think or what we say or what we text or what we post, that message actually was typed out first in our hearts. 
So, so if you do the math on this, the math is not difficult. Bitter words come from a bitter heart. Angry words come from an angry heart. Impatient words come from an impatient heart. Arrogant words come from an arrogant heart. Complaining words come from a complaining heart. But the flip side is also true. Kind words come from a kind heart. Encouraging words come from an encouraging heart. Joyful words come from a joyful heart. Thankful words come from a thankful heart. So, where's your heart today? Where, where's your heart like right now? Is it feeling overwhelmed with frustration? Overwhelmed with anger? Overwhelmed with aggravation? Listen, the truth for a lot of us right now is that we have grown comfortable with our anger. We're comfortable with our fear. We're comfortable with our aggravation. We're, we're comfortable being mad and being angry and being snippy or being afraid. We're, we're comfortable. And the truth is that to follow Jesus requires more courage, more strength, more humility, more hope than we're willing to give right now. And yet, the gospel still calls us to it. See, the, the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not hot pocket faith, okay? It, it's more like crock pot faith. Meaning that, that the gospel is not some quick fix that you can nuke a little bit for hard times. No, for hard times, we need to be the kind of people that already had the gospel in our spiritual crockpot. And if we didn't, then we need to put it in there today because, see, we need the gospel inside of us simmering around so that all the flavor and all the juice of our salvation can soak into our hearts. So how do we get there? How do we get faith like that? We've got to throw that crockpot in the river, Okay. You got to put on your big mouth Billy Bass for a little bit, okay? So let's do that. We're, we're going to look at this river, but let's, let's bring in the last part of verse 4 as we think through it. Listen again to verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. So this river makes glad the city of God, and the city of God is described as the, the holy dwelling places of the most high. So, where's the city of God? Well, the language the psalmist used gives us some, some leeway here a little bit. It, it could be referring to the ancient city of Jerusalem. It, it could be referring to, to John's revelation of, of the new Jerusalem, or it could be referring to the city that you're in right now. How could all three of those be true? Well, Verse 5 is going to help us with that, but, but first let's, let's just kind of look at what the river's doing, okay? What is the river doing to the city? The river is making the city glad. Even under attack or unrest or disease or conflict or war or social unrest, anything that might be happening to the city, the river makes glad the people in the city. The river is bringing happiness. So, what's this river? Well, the physical river is super nice. You know, some of you may be out on the river somewhere where you are today. 
But again, the language of the psalm seems to give a vibe of more than just water. One day Jesus was out by a well and he was talking to a woman. This woman had had a hard life, a really tough life. She had been in and out of a lot of failed relationships. And so they're out by this well and and Jesus turns to her and this is what he says to the woman. John chapter 4, verse 13. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. And he said this. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. It's as if Jesus was saying to this woman, hey, look, this water, it's great. I mean, fantastic. I mean, the, the pH numbers here are off the charts. They're, they're perfect. The, the natural alkaline, uh, great in this well. This is super water. But you're going to get thirsty again. And you're going to have to come back out here and get some more water. But the water that I'm offering has the power to save. And in any circumstance that a person might find themselves in, the water that I'm offering has the power through salvation to make that person glad. Any moment, any time, this water can make you glad. So how did the woman respond to Jesus? This might be one of my favorite verses, or at least my favorite responses in all of the Bible. John 4, 15. Sir, give me this water. <laughs> but she, she wanted it. She, she heard. She was, she was almost screaming from the inside at Jesus. Please. Look, I, I've been through six men trying to find love. And yet I'm still miserable and broken. I'm still longing for love. I'm still longing for hope. I'm still longing for help. I'm still longing to be satisfied. Please, mister, give me this water. Give me this life. And maybe today you're, you're not much different than that woman. Maybe you look at everything that's happening in your life right now, all the events occurring around you, all the things your family's having to endure. And you might be saying, look, I've been through six pairs of pajamas since March, okay? Man, I, I am longing for things to get back to something. I'm longing for things to be open again. I'm, I'm longing for things to be back to normal. So, so yeah, nothing's happening the, the way that I thought it would happen. I'm still desperate, so please, Mr. Give me this water. Please give me this life. You know, it's not hard to connect these dots. The, the water that is springing up with eternal life, the water that Jesus is talking about, and the river that makes the city glad that the psalmist is talking about, both of those sources of water have the same main source. They, they come from the same place. Now, how do we know that? Listen to verse 5. God is in the midst of her. God's in the midst of the city. God's in the, in the midst of the river. God's in the, the midst of the holy dwelling place. God is 
there. He's there. Dr. Anthony Bradley is professor of religious studies at the King's College in New York City. He has written extensively on issues like race, incarceration, overcriminalization, uh, welfare, uh, education, ethics, and others. He is often asked to be on broadcast uh, news networks to speak to some of these topics. Anthony was in college at the same time I was, and so there were times at Clemson that I had a chance to kind of be around some conversations with Anthony after Bible studies, before Bible studies, and at other Christian gatherings. And I was able to kind of listen in on the conversation. And the reason I say listen in is because you only had to be around Anthony for a few seconds to see the wisdom and insight, the unique wisdom and insight that God has gifted him with. Recently, I was watching a, a part of a, a, prefer- a conference that Anthony spoke at. It's from a few years back. It was on YouTube, and, and he's one of the speakers. And the conference was, was race and the Christian. And, and during his portion, he quoted Abraham Kuyper. Now, Kuyper was the prime minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905. And this was the quote that Anthony used in his message that night. Kuyper said this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. That's that's a bit of a stunning thought, right? But, But there it is. Every inch of your home Every inch of your neighborhood, every inch of this church, every inch of the state, every inch of the country, every inch of the world. Every inch of your attitude, every inch of your emotions, every inch of your actions, every inch of your reactions, every inch of everything and everyone all over the universe, Jesus gets to say, mine. It's it's his. And what that does is it reminds us that we can't compartmentalize God in our lives. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we're going to try the rest of today. You know, we, we try all the time. But we can't actually do it. We can't actually hide from God. And we can't actually believe the lie, although we'll try, believe the lie that God is somehow hiding from the world. Now that truth should be scary and comforting. Scary in the sense that we would think that evil is winning. Because that's, that's what some of us are thinking, right? We're thinking that evil is winning. And somehow God is absent, that he's hiding, that he's not around. It should also be scary to us in the sense that we probably somewhere in our minds and our hearts are thinking, well, I'm not a violent protester. I'm not looting anywhere, so my sin, it isn't that big of a deal. God's okay with my sin. Again, that's the lie when we say, oh, well, God's not really here. He's not really paying attention. We should remember and memorize that there is nothing new under the sun. Nothing. Nothing. The wise man of the Old Testament said this, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is this. Fear God 
and keep his commandments. Why? Because this applies to every person. Every person. And then he goes on, verse 14. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. God is in the midst of the world. He's in the midst of the city. He's in the midst of your home. He's in the midst of your life. That should create a sense of holy fear and reverence and awe. And if you're a Christian, it should also create a sense of comfort. Why? Because God is in the midst of the city. And God is in the midst of the world. And God is in the midst of your home. And God is in the midst of your life. God is there. You know why the river was making the city glad? You know why? Because the river was helping them remember God. The river was helping them see that, that hey, don't forget you, you have God. They were going to be desperate for water, and the river just kept bringing the hope of the gospel back to them, saying, hey, you know what? You, you have the Lord. When attack came their way, the river brought them gladness in God. So, just curiosity question. Do you feel like our country is under attack? Do you feel like the, the world is, is under attack? Then, take me to the river. Take me to the river. That's what the gospel's always telling us. Take me to the river. Take me to the river. Take me to the river. So the question might be this. Where are you with the gospel today? Is the gospel something that only works for you when the church is gathered in the building? Is the gospel something that, that only works for you when there's no virus and there's no pandemic and there's no protesting? Is the gospel something that works for you when the government is doing everything right? Or does the gospel just work? Is the gospel not just working all the time? Isn't that the nature of the gospel? That no matter what's happening, the power of God is alive in and through the gospel of Jesus? Isn't that how the gospel works? This is what Jesus said. John chapter 12, verse 46. I have come as light. I love this translation here. Capital L, no thee. He's the light. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Now, that doesn't mean that dark things will not happen. If you come to faith in Christ, if you're a believer, it doesn't mean that you're always going to escape the darkness of disease or the darkness of crime or the darkness of depression or the darkness of tragedy. That's, that's not what it means. It does mean that salvation will pull you and drive you away from the darkness of your sin. 
that you won't love it and be okay with it anymore. It'll pull you away from the darkness of your sin. And it also means that salvation has changed the darkness of your status. How? Well, the Scriptures say this, that a believer has been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Someone might say, but hey, wait a minute, can't, can't poor health or a pandemic, or a violent protest, or a number of other things, can't those things actually transfer me back? Can't those things kind of pull me out of the light and, and put me in the darkness? Listen to what the psalmist says. Verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. Back in verses 1 through 3, we had a different picture from the psalmist. He said, you know what? He said, the earth might change. And by the way, the earth will change, and everything in our life will keep changing. That's, that's what it means to be alive. He says, the earth can change. And the mountains, they might even slip into the ocean. But nothing will happen to the status of the child of God. Like nothing, nothing. Everything between you and God will, will be the same. Not because you're great, but because he's great. Not because you're obedient, because he's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's omni-everything. So your status with God will never change no matter what happens around you if you are in Christ because he's the keeper. One commentator said that you could translate verse 4 like this. Lo, a river. Not just, oh, there's a river over there. But, Lo, a, a river. Yo, yo there's, a, there's a river over there. It, it has this picture of someone who's so beat down, so worn out, so worn down, so weary, so frustrated, so tired, so stressed, and then they get this little shred of strength and they're able to lift their eyes just a little bit and when they do, they, they kind of catch a glimpse of something that's true and real and they say, oh, oh yeah, there's a river. Oh yeah, I'm a child of God. Oh yeah, I'm in the city of God. Oh yeah, no power of hell and no scheme of man and nothing in my social media feed will ever pluck me from his hand. Oh yeah, the river. The, the river. See, that's what the gospel does. That's, that's why we keep putting our attention and our focus and our hope in the gospel. Somebody said it's kind of like Rocky and, and Clubber and Rocky Three. You know, I mean, Clubber is wailing on Rocky. I mean, just boom, boom, boom. And Rocky keeps popping back up. You ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. You ain't nothing. It's, it's kind of like that. The, the reality is this. The, the sin and the arrogance and the apathy and the evil that we inflict on other people and that other people inflict on us, it ain't nothing. It's, it's something. It, it's something real. 
Listen, life is hard and difficult. And throughout history, there have been pandemics, and there have been protests, and there has been unrest, and there has been conflict, and every other thing on your newsfeed today has always been. It's always been. It's always been. That's the promise from the beginning to the end of the Bible. God has promised us there's nothing new under the sun. This just happens to be the sun we're under now. So throughout history, there's always been things like this. There's nothing new under the sun, but everything under the sun that knocks us down, we can still pop back up again. How? How is that even possible? Listen to the last thing Asama says. God will help her when morning dawns. God will help her when morning dawns. You know, the danger of, of online church is some dad right now at home who is prone to tell dad jokes is sitting in his pajamas and he just looked at his kids and went, the sun will come out tomorrow. Because we do that, right? Maybe that's just me. But you know, here's the thing. If you're a believer, the sun will come out tomorrow. No matter what the weather may say, the sun will come out tomorrow. You may not see the S-U-N, but if you're in Christ tomorrow, the S-O-N will be at full beam. And nothing will change that. And nothing can hinder that. And nothing can turn that. Someone might say, wait a minute. You're telling me that the Bible says God will help me when the morning dawns. But you know what, buddy? I got up this morning and God didn't help me. All the pain I went to bed with last night, all the grief, all the hurt, all that stuff, it was still here when I got up this morning. God didn't help me. And all the chaos in our country, all the chaos in our world, when I went to bed last night, it was real. And when I woke up this morning, it's still there. God didn't, God didn't help. He, he ain't around. He didn't show up this morning in my life. Listen, here's the truth. There are going to be mornings, maybe a lot of them, that we wake up anxious, stressed, frustrated, or afraid. And there's going to be other mornings that we wake up downtrodden and depressed. That's true. So what can we do? Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, How greatly I prize a portion of Scripture which is filled with God's shalls and wills. I love that. In other words, what he's saying is, man, I love when I'm reading the Bible and I come to the I will or I shall or God will and God shall. Those are, those are good wills and good shalls. So, dear Christian, what will God do tomorrow morning? He'll help. He will help. Now, he may not help the way you want him to help, but he'll help. He may not correct everything that you want corrected. He may not keep things the same way that you want them to stay. He may not bring back normal 
He may not change things the way you want them changed. He may not restore things the way you want them restored. But tomorrow at dawn, he'll help. If you are in Christ, he will help. How? How will he help? By the time she was 18, Eliza was already a full-time school teacher. Early on in her teaching career, there was some kind of altercation, something happened, maybe even possible that she was hit in the back by a student, but, but whatever the circumstances were, she found herself severely crippled for an extended period of time and then really in some way disabled for the rest of her life. During that time of, of severe crippling, rather than be overwhelmed with fear or anger or bitterness or discouragement, Eliza started spending her time more and more in God's Word. She started just loving the Bible. And as she did, as she kept loving God's Word more, she started writing poems. The poems were just pouring out of her as she reflected on the Scripture. Some of her poems have become fantastic anthems in the church. When she was about 46, she was in Ocean Grove, New Jersey at an outdoor church service. And while she was there, she wrote a poem, and, and this is a few of the words from that poem. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of him in glory. Will the toils of life repay? I wish I could, but, but I can't make you believe that. If, if you're not a Christian, I wish I could, but I can't make you believe it. I, I can't make you believe that seeing one glimpse of Jesus when you wake up on the other side of death would repay all the toil and all the trouble and all the tribulation and all the tragedy that you've experienced in life. I can't make you believe it, but I can graciously say this. That is his offer. That's his offer. Jesus loved you and gave himself up for you on the cross so that you might have salvation from sin. You might have safety from eternal death. And you might be satisfied in the city of God forever. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we, we plead with you, repent and come to him. And if you are a Christian, I can't make you believe that either. I, I wish I could. I, I wish there was a way that I could convince you that one glimpse of Jesus will repay all the stress and bitterness and aggravation and anger and fear and worry and aggravation and frustration and anxiety that you have today that you are experiencing in life as you keep going to him. But I can tell you this, it is his promise. It's, it's exactly what he promised. Jesus promised that tomorrow morning, all over again, the river of God's grace and mercy will be coming again. Sometimes we don't believe it. Sometimes we think it's not true. 
But I just want you to know that, that tomorrow morning, if you're a believer, you might experience that river first person. Before tomorrow morning, your faith might become sight. And if so, praise the Lord for your salvation. But if not, if not, tomorrow morning, according to everything that we see in the Scripture, there is a river whose streams will bring that promise to you. And dear Christian, if you will take your cup and dip it in that river, pull up that cup and drink, I promise, because God has promised that he will be your God. He will be in the midst of you. You will not be moved. And because of him, he can make you glad. He can make you glad. There is a river. There is a river. May the Lord take us to the river.